This is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willer for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. Okay, so you asked us what sort of adventures we were interested in. Yep, yep. Um, I've got a system picked out, but like I haven't really like finalized the world yet. So that's kind of what I want to work on right now. What do you guys think about post-apocalypse? Though we haven't done anything like that in a while. Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, I like I like you know broken society and scavenging and you know shit like that. That sounds cool. I, I like ex- exploration, building, but not nuclear zombie apocalypse. Those have been done to death. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm totally fine with that. Right, like none of those. Um, what about like some sort of like like big technology break or I don't know like like I, I don't know maybe something viral. Maybe both uh, techno virus like bio nanotech gone wrong, disrupted supply, disrupted manufacturer, uh, something that interferes with biology technologically. Yeah. Okay. And then the remaining humans triggered a worldwide EMP that wiped out all the nanotech, but it was so ingrained by then that it also wiped out most of the regular tech as well. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, no, no, I like that. I like, I like, I like that um, overall idea. But like, let's let's start small, and um, tell me about where your characters are. Which would be in the ruins of Buffalo, of course. Uh, various neighborhoods are like little rival communities. Yeah, and we keep going out to explore areas and get resources to help defend and protect our neighborhood. Okay, cool. Like, so that'll give you some good reoccurring characters. Um, and it, it seems this is going to be a lot more about like exploring than conquering, which I also dig. Yeah. I, I don't want this to be about conquering or colonizing. I'm thinking more like exploring, building, make alliance with their areas because we help them and they help us. Yeah. I mean, I, I would expect that there's going to be some kind of combat because there's always going to be some kind of raiders or somebody trying to, to score your stuff. Um, but we want to be the ones that are helping our own people and other people who need help. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent on this. I like where it's going. So, um, so tell me about the tech and equipment that is salvageable. So, with that, welcome to the four hundred fiftieth episode of the Misdirected Mark Podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about world building your tabletop role playing games. Along the way, we're going to take your comments, examples, and suggestions live from the chat room for life on Twitch before jumping into the after show. But first, my name is Jerry. My name is Phil, and I am Old Man Logan. Welcome back. Yep. Here we go. Let's start with our little temperature check thing. Phil, how you feeling? Tired, my friend. Tired. Um, it's been a busy week, um, but otherwise, mentally, I'm uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, physically, like I could have used a nap today, didn't get one, so uh, I'm uh, I'm rolling. So other than that, I could just either use an influx of caffeine or really just like shut it down a little earlier tonight. We'll see. That's me. Uh, Jer, how about you? I'm okay. I'm getting ready for a three-day trip down to Cincinnati for a, a conference on Legionnaires' disease. So uh, kind of getting prepped up for that. Uh, I don't mind driving long distance. I actually enjoy it. So that should be fun. But uh, we're starting to get into the holiday season and scheduling. And that's always stressful for me. I Once December starts, I am like in a mad rush to get to the end of December and get back to normality again. Um, I find I find the holidays to be stressful. So I'm looking forward to seeing that all past, but uh, this has been fun, and I'm looking forward to uh, talk about some good stuff tonight. So I'm pretty level. How about you, Phil? We already uh, did Bob. Phil. We're gonna do or Bob. Bob. 
Bob. I'm reading these abstract. I'm reading them in the abstract direction. That's okay, right. let me try this again. How yeah. about you, other Phil? Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so uh physically I am uh I'm feeling pretty good um after uh heinous Thanksgiving area. Um and mentally, um I'm a solid decent, you know, chugging along. Um, solid decent. Uh, yeah, solid decent. solid decent. I like that. Um so that that's enough. Let's jump good, on good. into the one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as I hinted at, I am like starting to feel human again. My Thanksgiving was a complete washout. I got my my booster, my COVID booster, and my flu shot on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And then I had four days of flu, <laughs> which was horrible. But the problem with that was it didn't just give me four days of flu and then go away. The four days of flu gave me a massive uh upgrade to my reflux and my reflux was completely out of control and that just took me out um so i've been fighting that ever since and i'm finally back to the point where i'm starting to feel decent and normal and human so um that is definitely a thing that i am happy about right now uh feeling mostly back to normal so yay for that jerry for me um the uh we're, for the next couple of months we're gonna have uh showtime so we can finish watching a bunch of other stuff and showtime has the gentleman on it and i know we went to go see it together but i haven't seen that movie and it was just a really good feel good uh criminal caper thing it just kind of picked me up it was just a really fun watch and uh i forgot how cool that movie is um especially since it's got uh, the, one of the main characters and it is also one of the main characters in something else i watched this week which was succession so um, it's just if if you like Guy Ritchie films and you like the lock stock two smoking barrel thing, I can't recommend the gentleman gentleman enough. It's just it's a good movie with a lot of cool stuff going on. So yeah, it's a great it's it's yeah. it's a great watch. A lot of fun. Yeah. Phil, um, well, I've um, I, my thing is Cowboy Bebop. Um, Senda was in town and had not uh, been watching it, so I was like, cool, we we're going to watch some more Cowboy Bebop. So I finished it before. Um, I finished it last week and then I watched um, I watched it again this week and um, boy, no spoilers, but boy, did I really enjoy it. Um, it's just I don't know. I liked it all around. I mean, I think, you know, other people have, you know, had their thoughts on it and um, I love the um, I love the anime. And I also um, thoroughly enjoyed the live action and um, do not compare the two of them. Like I will not compare the two of them. The anime is unto itself its own thing and it's great. And uh, the live action was totally fun. And where they deviated from the anime, I enjoyed it a bunch. Um, And where they kind of stuck things to the anime was also good. Um, And I will say that I was... um, very pleased with the last scene of the series. The last scene um, was something that I um, didn't expect. And when it popped up, I was like, perfect. Like mm-hmm. I'm ready. Give me season two. Yeah. Um, it was good. It was just good all around. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, happy to have watched it twice. Like it was good. The first time it was great. The second time. <laughs> cool. All right, that's me. Um, hey, before we head into our feature segment for this evening, uh, a quick announcement. I believe we made a hint of this last week, and uh, we are here to confirm it. 
um, we are going on holiday hiatus. Um, if you are a regular listener of the show, uh, you know that as it gets close to the holidays, we just stop recording for a couple weeks um, because scheduling gets dicey and and honestly, um, honestly, we like a little break. Like a little downtime is nice. Uh, recharge the batteries and stuff like that. So uh, let me tell you what we do know, and then let me tell you what we don't know. So what we do know is that um, we are recording our last live show tonight. tonight. That is uh, the 7th of December. This show for our podcast listening friends will drop on the 14th. That is the last show for 2021. So uh, 458 World Building is the last show for 2021. We will be on hiatus for sure the next three weeks for live recordings, right? We'll not be recording on the 14th, the 21st, or the 28th. I'm not 100% sure when we're coming back in in, uh, in January. Like, might be, um, what you call it? Might be the 4th, might be the 11th. Um, we'll decide that and we'll put it out on Twitter and let people know like yeah. um, when we're when we're good to go. Um, just kind of have to like look at schedules and stuff like that. But we're taking some time off um, and recharging our batteries. Um, 2021 was certainly no 2020. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't but it wasn't a it wasn't a walk in the park either. No. So um a little downtime for us to uh, recover and recoup um is what we've got planned so uh, again you're listening to the last episode of 2021 uh but do not delete us from your feed we will be back in 2022 for sure all right so cool that's our holiday hiatus announcement there you go all right you ready for this phil i am ready and go Workshop, workshop, world building. What does it even mean? How much do we have to build? Do we have to build all of it? Do we have to build some of it? Who knows? Well, we do. We're going to tell you all about how to do world building tonight here in the workshop. And don't suck. All right. See, I feel like that one was better. Like, I think, what was it last week? I felt like I really, like, I really just kind of missed the mark, but I feel like that was a much better one. By the way, the workshop bumpers basically just me channeling um macho the macho man like randy (laughs) savage like that's basically all i'm doing for that yeah i think they used to be a lot tighter like when we first started out and they've just kind of drifted long but you know phil he's going long so (laughs) i mean i'm not lying you're not lying. <laughs> nope. All right, Jerry, why don't you wind this thing up? All right. All right. In our Sunday game group, we got together before Thanksgiving to do some world building for our new campaign that we're starting. Um, and that got us talking, thinking about how to do world building in general and the different approaches we take to world building. So tonight, we're going to take a look at world building, talk about the things you might need to build, how much to build, and how to do it either alone or as part of a group. Yes. And for all that to happen, first, we need the definition panda to dispense some uh, stuff. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. All right, we got just a few definitions for tonight, nothing major. Um, We'll start with the big one, of course, world building. Uh, This one's out of Wikipedia. Uh, The process of constructing an imaginary world, sometimes associated with a fictional universe, 
depending or developing an imaginary setting with coherent qualities such as history, geography, and ecology is a key task for many science fiction or fantasy writers or role players. Uh, world building often involves the creation of geography, a backstory, flora, fauna, inhabitants, technology, and often if writing speculative fiction, different species. This may include social customs as well as invented languages for the world. Right? There we go. Um, that's our big one for tonight. That's what that's what we're doing. So in RPGs, world building is any time where we're adding information about the world we're playing in. Uh, this can be for a homebrew that is like something that you've completely made up from scratch. Um, it can be for an established world. Like if you're playing in the Star Wars universe and you start detailing like planets that have never been uh, in Star Wars before, that's also world building. Um, or it could... Um, it could just be even the real world. Like, you know, I'm running Knights Black Agents and we're basing it in the real world, but we're still doing some, like, I'm still doing some world building for, for that game, right? So world building is not just like a thing where you make up, um, like, I guess what the point is, it's not for just homebrews, right? It is like, it is a little, like it can be anywhere. Um, second thing is, right, like, um, when we make up a location, a person, event, a piece of history, whatever, that's world building, right? That's that's the thing. So we do it a lot in games. Um, sometimes we do it as a concentrated effort, and sometimes we do it a little throughout the game, right? We're going to talk about some of that as we uh, get deeper into it. Uh, next up, I just want to uh, talk briefly about Jason Pitt's four structures. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. I already did. Um, Jason defines four terms, uh, system setting, situation, and subtext. Um, you should go, if you're not familiar with these, you should go read up on this article. It's really good. Um, it, is, uh, it is a construct that I have used for a while now that I really like, but I want to highlight two of the four structures for our talk tonight. Um, the first one, of course, is setting, right? The fictional context for play. That's the thing we build when we're doing world building. Right. That makes sense. Um, and then the other one that I really wanted to hone in on is situation. Can, and as Jason defines it, consists of the inciting incidents and purpose of play. And this means that, like, this is why you're playing the game. Right. Um, this is what the characters do in the game. Uh, this is a thing like I just as a quick aside, this is a thing when I pick up any role playing game now. Um, if I don't see this on the back cover or in the first few pages, I'm concerned about the role-playing game, right? What do the players do? Like, what do the characters yeah. do in this game? Um, yep. Like, I want to like, know that. Um, so situation is going to be important. We're going to talk about that tonight in, in the context of world building. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit more. Awesome. So now that we have our term set, Jerry... Can you talk about the fractal nature of world building? All right. Well, as you may know, fractals are geometric shapes where each part is the same features as the whole shape. Think of a tree. As a tree goes, the branches spread out, the branches look like smaller branches, and so on and so forth. In terms of world building, there's a similar effect. You can world build at different scales and still use the same techniques to create similar things moving up and down the scale. And what we mean by this, you can start your game and do world building at the smallest level, like detailing a town in the neighboring area, or you can start by zooming out and build a whole cosmos and go from there. Or you can start from somewhere in the middle. You might know, you know, the nation that you want to put something in and then work large and small. Yeah. 
Right. And a lot of times you got to do like a little bit of both of this. Um, so like you may need to create the cosmos uh, and the world to understand some of the major powers and some of like the major, like the generalities of the world before you can zoom back in and build out like your town and like the area around it. So mistakes often made is the idea that you have to pick some level and then work uh, in, a, in a linear fashion from there. It's not true. You can bounce around different levels, create some things, leave some things completely undefined. And when you do that, this can help to save you a lot of work. Yeah. If you start at one level and just like linearly work your way up or down in scale, and then your game like doesn't take off, like, you know, you play a few sessions and it, it doesn't really work it bombs or whatever. Like you made a lot of material that did not get used. I speak of this from, from actual experience, right? Like I will tell this story probably later, but like actual experience, um, you can just generate way more world building material than you needed. Um, and if your game ends early, you just kind of like, you know, it's wasted. Um, unless you find a way to salvage or recycle some of those ideas. Like sometimes you can, um, sometimes you can like, you know, pull them into other games or whatever, but again, it's a lot of work that for what may or may not be used. So like this bouncing around thing is a good idea. Um, so there's a couple, excuse me, a couple of takeaways from this one, there are different zoom levels within world building. And two, you don't have to go through them. Literally you can move in and out of zoom wherever you need to. Absolutely. So Phil, you mentioned not wasting your time. And I know from the one M&M game that we played like 11 years ago, Mutants and Masterminds, you went all out on that world building only to have that game run dry after a few sessions. Yeah. So talk about other approaches for world building that may save some time. Yeah. That was a lot of, that was the, like the complete history of supers from World War II through the 2000s. And then we played yeah. like four sessions, like, oh, heartbreaking anyway let us talk about different ways to do some world building um there are some factors in determining how you want to world build um the first one the biggest one is time like how much free time do you have to work on this uh if you have like a ton of free time like i don't know you are independently wealthy or in a bunker somehow safe from the pandemic, whatever. If you have a lot of free time, like you can just work on your world building and there's nothing wrong with it. Right. It's fine. Um, I certainly did. I like that M&M thing Bob was talking about was when I had way more time in my life. Um, and just, you know, using all that time up to do world building was, you know, it was, it was an act. It was a thing. I did it. Um, so that time's a big factor. Another one is, um, how crucial are the past events of the world and the overall world to your story? Your story is focused on the villain or their deed. You're going to need a certain amount of world building to uh, have things for the villain to react to and affect on. But if your story is focused on empire set a thousand years ago and the lineage of the great houses of the time, you're going to need a totally different amount of world building to focus on those houses. Yeah, exactly. Um, there are other factors that figure into this as well, such as um, are you using an established setting? Are you basing this off the real world? You know, things like that. Like has, you know, in other words, has some world building already been done for you? That kind of mm -hmm. thing. Um, but time and importance are going to be the two critical factors in determining how you want to approach your world building. 
because of that, we're going to look at a few approaches and take these into account. Yeah, as always, uh, these are not the only ways you can do world building, uh, and they are not in any given order. So, first workshop is about upfront world building. And this is when the GM sits down and performs the build, build, world building before even bringing, bringing the game to the table. They don't necessarily create the whole world beforehand, but they create a significant portion of it. The idea is that you come to the table with things already built, and it's main limitation that's only created by you and not through collaboration. So you're only going to get ideas and, and input that you start with before the game goes. This technique is good if the world has secrets that are going to be revealed through play um, that you don't want the players to know initially, so they can just kind of come into the world and, and learn as they go. Yeah. Uh, the next one you could do is in-game. Um, so you can just do your world building in like what well, you know, like during the game. Um, and you know, this can be done by the GM alone, right? Like, so sometimes when I'm running a game, I just like make up a thing, right? Like I can, uh, you know, like I just make up an organization or an event or something, um, or we can do it by, you know, we can do it through the group. Um, you know, if I'm doing it, I'm just making up stuff and hopefully writing it down somewhere, right? Hopefully I'm writing it down so I can put it back into my notes. Uh, if you guys are doing it, like if I'm doing it with you guys as a group, um, then I can do it like through leading questions, right? Yep. Like say, Bob, you know, tell me about the Thieves Guild in this town. Like what's, you know, what's, what's, uh, you know, why are they so infamous, right? Like that's, um, yep. you know, that's, that's a leading question um, to kind of prompt that in-game world building. Um, the thing is, this will slow down the flow of your game, right? If you're doing in-game world building, then from time to time, instead of like moving through the story, progressing through the story, like, you know, we, we talk about, um, you uh, will stop and do this stuff. So it may, it may slow down the flow of the game, but I find it often raises investment um, as when like anytime players take an active role in world building, I, I feel like, and I think I speak from experience, it, it creates an investment. The players are building parts of this world. They're injecting things that they think are interesting and cool into the world. Therefore, they engage with, they engage with the material better. The next thing we're going to talk about is what's called just-in-time world building. And this is a type of world building that just creates things you need to get the current session or arc going, and then you build more later on and more later on as the game unfolds. Um, this could be a bit of a time saver if you're setting up and getting the game off the ground. But it does mean that world building will be a regular part of your campaign management and that sometimes you're not going to have things planned out enough to um, move things ahead in the direction you expect. Uh, this works really great, though, for one shots or in the start of a campaign where you're not sure if the game is going to take off and be playable after a couple sessions. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we talk about it a lot here. I'll mention mm -hmm. it. You know, I live by the four game rule, right? Mm -hmm. After four sessions is this game viable or not? Right. Right. So just in time is a great way to do world building. If you're, you know, unsure that you're going to make a past session for. Yep. Okay. Next one we got on the list here is expansive, right? In contrast, expansive is the approach where you create a lot of material, like more than you will need at any given time. Um, your initial build results in a lot of material for you to draw upon in future games. Um, this can be labor heavy and time consuming. This is again, why time is one of those um, factors, right? Cause if you're just going to like knock out 20, 30 pages of world building, like you need some time to do that. Um, but the upside is if you do have the time and you have done a whole bunch of it um, later as your game progresses, um, you can just keep pulling from the stuff you already created, right? You'll just have this like well of, of material to keep pulling from. Um, so that, you know, will help you, uh, because 
on your campaign management and prep side, you'll have a little less work to do because you're pulling from this, this world building material. Um, also like you can, like, you don't even have to do this with an existing game or campaign, right? Like you might just love doing world building and might just like sit down, open a Google doc and start knocking out a fantasy world just because you want to, right? Like just, you know, like, you know, maybe you'll use it later kind of thing, but you might just sit down and be like, I got this great idea for fantasy world. I'm going to start like knocking down some ideas on it. Maybe, you know, six months down the line, I'll run it as a 5e game. Done that a lot. I've, uh, it's how some of my Savage Worlds one shots get, I'm just coming up with an idea and just trying to work things around it. And yeah, I can run it as a one shot. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, but understand that these approaches are not exclusive. There's a lot of mixing and matching possible. You can do an expansive and upfront world build. You can do a just-in-time group source world build. You can do an in-game build and then follow up with an expansive world build. And this can come out a lot like a microscope game. You can combine these back and forth and mix them as you need them. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, absolutely, right? There's There, there are a number of possibilities um, that you know you can do based on your preference, your time, and again, how much world do you need to get the game going? All right. So with the idea that we don't need to create everything all at once, <clears throat> we do need to understand what we need to create so that our game world is playable. How do we go about figuring out what we need? Yep. So no matter what approach you take, you want to maximize the world building you are doing to maximize the amount of gameable, gameable material you create. Um, it's nice if you go, you know, off on a tangent and build like, you know, um, I don't know, 56 holidays for your game, but you know, if you don't also, but if you, you know, you may not get to the point where you need all 56 of these festivals for your game, you may need something else instead. So you kind of want to maximize, um, how much gameable material you're creating. If you're doing a just in time approach, it's even more important. Because you're planning on only creating what you need right before you need it. So you don't need to know your 56 holidays if you're probably only going to get to experience one or two of them. Yeah, exactly. Right like you may right just now. want to create one or two holidays, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the best way to maximize gameable material is to understand what elements of the world you need. And for this, we go and look at the two structures of Jason Pitts that we defined at the top of the segment, which is setting and situation. Right. But the setting is going to be kind of obvious. And that we need to create the world that the game is going to take place in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can even get more granular than that, right? Setting information falls into two categories. Uh, things that players need to know about the world in order to play their characters. And things that the GM needs to know about the world in order to portray a logical world to the players. Let's start with the players. So what do the players need to know? Well, the first thing the players need to know are the things about the setting in order to play their character there. They'll start with the things they see, the things they encounter. So, for example, one would be the location around them. What town are they in? Where do they start? Yeah, what kind of species will they see and interact with? Like elves, like dwarves, things like that. Um, third, it could be what are the events occurring around them? Is there an intergalactic war? Is there um, some sort of political intrigue? Um, are a bunch of people getting together to throw a ring into the big volcano? Whatever is going on, what are the events that are happening? So Sharon cooks her pies. Yes. <laughs> uh, the if you're on pie. Twitter, you know that joke. Okay. One pie. Um, from there, 
um, they will need to, they will need to know things that their character knows, right? Like this is that um, you know what what like what does my character know about this, right? What is common knowledge of the world, right? Like do you know does everybody know that magic exists? Because that's a like that's a big one, right? Like if people yeah. think that magic exists and you know um, they it they don't, right? Like that you're gonna make some mistakes when you're like figuring out how your character reacts to things, what they do, and those kinds of things. Next is, um, at least locally, who's in power and who's in charge of things? Mm -hmm. you know, who are the movers and shakers? Um, you know, if you have, and maybe it's important to know, do they like magic or know that magic exists? But you need to know, um, basically, who are the characters that are going to be scoping the events that the players get involved in? Uh, yeah. Um, how much history is known to the characters, right? Like uh, if you're, you know, if you're like in a fantasy game where like most people don't like move, you know, a mile or two, like they don't travel a mile or two from their hometown, like how much, mm -hmm. like, how much history do they know? Um, but, but if you're like playing in the modern world or if you're playing in a futuristic world, like how much history do people know? Like you're going to have to like sketch out some, like, you know, at least some high level details about that. Is what kind of science crafting or engineering is known? Um, if you're in a sci-fi game, obviously you need to know what your tech level is. You know, are we talking warp travel or such? But even in um, non-sci-fi games, things like, you know, geez, how much do, is there gunpowder? Um, do they have the printing press? Um, in a modern age, you know, are we set in the 2000s where people have cell phones or you set in the 1980s where everybody's got to deal with landlines. It changes a lot of things. So what kind of science and engineering is known to the, to the characters? Or the big cell phone, the like Martok, like Martok's cell phone. Wow. Love that thing. The bag phone. Yes. Um, finally, like how much of the world or universe does the character know about, right? Like if you've never been outside the local barony, like maybe that's all, you know, um, if we're playing a sci-fi game where there's uh you know, interstellar travel, then like maybe everybody knows about the six galaxies that are nearby that like everybody travels to and from kind of thing. Okay. So that's what the character knows, right? That's the things that like roll all that up. That's the stuff players need to know. Let's talk about what GMs need to know. The GM needs to know all the things that the players know. So all of that above, plus they need to know the basics of what is going on behind the scenes, the stuff the players aren't seeing. The GM needs to know things like who are the movers and shakers and what are they planning or doing while the characters are involved in their adventures? Yeah. What's the overarching plot of the story, right? You're going to need to, like, if, if you've got something like that in mind, like, you're going to need to know enough about it so that you can kind of place details and whatever foreshadowing that's, like, important in the moment. Next, the GM needs to know which actual history is important. What is it that's going to come up in the game that happened historically is going to affect what's happening today? Yeah, exactly. Um, who are the major NPCs that are going to be involved in the story, right? You're going to want to jot, you're going to want to know like at least a few sentences on all of them. Mm -hmm. And also what are the major organizations that will be involved in the story? Is there a thieves girl, is there thieves guild, not girl, thieves guild, uh, a galactic empire? Is there going to be, um, you know, a big corporation or maybe just a patron? But it's mm -hmm. important to note that the GM doesn't need to plan for all the NPCs organizations, just the ones that are important to this particular story arc. The GM can say, well, there are mega corporations, 
but this time we're only dealing with this one and maybe this one. Or, you know, in the future, we're going to talk about, you know, the Bounty Hunters Guild, but we don't need to know much more than that there is a Bounty Hunters Guild that'll come up later on. Just get the stuff you need for the starting for the starting scenario. Yeah, I mean, like, for instance, like, if you're playing, um, if you're, like, let's say you're doing an Embron game, right? So, like, that's an established world that you still have to do some world building in. Like, mm-hmm. you might, like, you need to know, like, which houses mm-hmm. are, are going to be, like, part of the initial story of the game, right? Yep. Like, like I, you can't learn, I mean, maybe you can, like, you don't want to learn all of the houses up front, but you might want to be like, okay, look, this story is going to focus on like house Kenneth. Like yep. we're going to like, like that's where we're starting. So I'm going to do like a little extra work on house Kenneth to like really, um, you know, really make sure I have that in place. Okay, cool. Um, next. The GM needs to know details that will be important for the adventure, like what's like what you're about to play. Yeah. For example, how far does the GM plan the story campaign to travel? A world spreading or world hopping adventure takes a lot more planning than one that takes place entirely within a small town. Um, the difference between, um, you know, an adventure, like the difference between Star Wars, A New Hope, which jumps to... Uh, a planet and a half plus uh, the plus the Death Star is different than um, the beginning campaign adventure in the Star Wars role playing game, where the entire thing takes place in a city that fits on an eight and a half by eleven map. You don't right. need to plan as much that way. Yep. Yeah, it's a different. It's a different. Again, when we talk about scales and things like that, right? Very different mm-hmm. scale. Very what locations scale. do you need? Like those, I need to be built up too, right? Just like you said in that adventure, right? Mm-hmm. If the whole thing happens on one map, that's all you need to build for you know especially if you're doing just in time right that's all you need to build yeah. as opposed to what's alderaan what's Tatooine, what's yavin um all of those things hence, hence why go ahead yes alderaan i guess you don't really need to work well, up that only matters for the first half of the story arc, now again <laughs> if you've got your person who's doing like expansive world building like they may have written a whole history of alderaan and then blown it up yeah but you're correct in the just in time thing. It's like, yeah, uh, Alderaan is a planet. Uh, well, whatever it's getting blown up. So like, I don't really need to put too many more details other than it's in one of your backgrounds. Yeah. And star Wars is an excellent example of that because we really don't get much on Tatooine or Alderaan. They're important to the story, but the background details don't matter as much. All you need to really know is that Alderaan's a peace loving world, part of the rebellion and Leia's from there. The rest of it doesn't matter to the to the entire trilogy, really. Yeah. And again, that's, I think, part of why I, I don't think that's why Lucas did it. But if I'm but if we're talking about um, saving time, right, that's the biome planet yeah. concept. Right. So like what's Tatooine? It's a desert. Yeah. Well, what part of the planet's a desert? Nope. The whole planet oh, is a desert. Planet. Right. <clears throat> The whole damn thing solves solves a huge problem of having to like build out realistic worlds with detail or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. what do you need to know about tattooing? Tattooing sand, man. Like that's like sand. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Um. Yeah. Okay. I think we're good there, Bob. Uh, I think Jerry had the last one, didn't he? I said that already. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. We're good. Yeah. All right. We got a little. We got a little windy with that one, so it lost. We me. did. That's why. I, that's why I was signaling you. Yeah. Awesome. So now that we've <laughs> talked about how to figure out what you need to build, Phil, 
What can you tell us about world building on your own versus doing it collaboratively? I mean, I, I guess the simplest way to put this is um, it's like sex, right? Like you can totally do it alone, but it's probably better if you do it with some people. Valid. I'll, I'll elaborate. I'll elaborate. I think I could have just summed the whole section up with that, but I'll elaborate, right? Um, in our examples above, right, the details um, are the sort of things that could just be done by the GM, right? You could just, or you could just, you could do them collaboratively with everyone at the table, or you could split it up and the GM could do some and, you know, you could do the rest with the, with the table. Um, it, you really like it, it, there's no hard and fast rules to this solo world building puts the work on the GM, which can make it a little more difficult. Like, especially like, um, you know, if you're doing a one shot, cause you just like, you have to create everything. Right. Um, However, when you get into details like secrets, things for the adventure, that kind of world building is actually done is best done by the GM, right? Like that's the things you need the GM to kind of do so that the players can discover it. Because if you're discovering things about the setting uh, or the history of the world, whatever, um, if that's part of the situation of your game, then it makes sense for the GM to do a lot of that world building alone. Like for example, Knights Black Agents is not a thing I had you guys collaboratively world build on, right? I like sat down and figured out the vampire conspiracy and like, what, what are their goals? Who are they? And all that stuff, because that's what you're discovering during the game, right? Like that's the thing you're discovering. So it's not that like, you know, um, hooray for me, I, I world built all this vampire shit myself, but if we did it as a group, then you wouldn't have the, you wouldn't have like the excitement of uncovering it. There's no mystery right? to it then because you helped, you helped create it. Yeah. It's, it becomes a very different game, right? It's not a game of discovery. It's like, okay, if these are what the vampires are like, I guess we're just killing vampires, yeah. which is, you could do that as well. But since Knights Black Agents is a lot about uncovering the conspiracy, that world building needs to go to the GM solo. Okay. Now, if you really aren't hot on doing solo world building or you're really into collaborative world building um, and you want to find some help and it is this kind of solo stuff, like stuff the players can't really know, um, go find somebody who's not part of your gaming group and bounce some ideas off of it with them, right? Like you must know, I mean, I'm guessing like you must know some other GMs that aren't part of your gaming group. If you don't, there's the internet. Um, if you put a call out on the internet to ask somebody to sit with you and do a little world building, I'm sure people would answer. I, you know, I mean, I have some free time. I would do that for people. Um, so you can do that, right? Like you can actually do the collaborative part if you don't want to share it with your players by finding other people to collaborate with. You know, just make sure it's not anyone who's going to accidentally reveal something to your gaming group. Um, so solo building, um, Solo building can also be a thing. And I don't, I don't want to make this, I don't want to poo-poo on this. It can be a thing when the GM has a vision of what they want for the world and they want to build it the way they imagined it, right? Like maybe the GM has a very clear idea of the kind of fantasy world they want to make. Um, and then they want to just like set out and put it down on paper. I think that's totally legit. Um, but I do think that, you know, if you're not careful, this is, like you're wandering into the territory of heartbreakers, ego trips, and and things like that. Um, I I think I've done it. 
like I'm sure I'm sure I've done it. Um, you know, I think everybody builds their own heartbreaker at some point. Um, I know I did. Um, Do I define a heartbreaker for the plate for the, 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 the sure the heart, the heartbreaker is the, um, I'm going to make my own fantasy world. That's like so much better than D and D fantasy <clears throat> world, uh, because it has everything I want in it. It's called a heartbreaker because, um, like you think it's just the greatest thing ever, but like probably it's been done somewhere else, right? Like by someone else, it probably is derivative of something. Um, honestly, like coming up with a completely unique fantasy world is pretty hard nowadays. Like there are so many created fantasy worlds that like it's almost impossible to come up with something um, completely unique. It's fine. You don't really need to. But heartbreakers tend to be the kind of thing where you swear you're going to make like, you know, I'm going to make the you know, my, I'm going to make the best fantasy world kind of thing. It ultimately breaks your heart. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is if you have a very clear vision of your world, um, just, and you want to just write your own setting, like your own, do all your own world building, not involve anyone. It's totally fine. You can do it. Just, just be careful that you're not um, like check your ego at the door and, you know, make sure that you're not building a heartbreaker or on some ego trip, you know, some George R.R. Martin-esque kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, ego trip or something. I don't know if he has an ego or not. I no, really I don't think, know anything about it. I, I think I think the thing that happens a lot of times with people who build heartbreakers or do that is that they get very involved in their campaign and they're all set to go. And a lot of GMs get their heart broken when the players are not as involved in it yes. or as impressed with it. Yeah, um, as excited or, by or it. Even, or, or even worse, when the GM's like, I just did, the, you know, da-da-da! And the player's like, oh, that's really cool. That's just like X. I always wanted to play that X thing, and you just made it for us. I'm glad you finally took this thing that I like and put, you know, and the GM's like, oh, I thought I was being original. No, you know, but it's yeah. but it's, but it's Harry Potter meets Twilight. Well, yeah, it's been out there before, you know. Uh, I read fan it, fiction, you know. When <laughs> the, um, the Mutants and Masterminds world that Bob referred to earlier was absolutely my heartbreaker um superheroes genre it was it was based on the idea of like why does anyone live in manhattan right like if you're in the marvel universe why why would you have an apartment in manhattan it's like the epicenter of every like you know superhero fight imaginable um and they went on this whole bender about like what would it look like if realistically superheroes existed in the world and i wrote like 50 pages of this nonsense um and um, as it turned out, when I showed it to the players, they weren't super excited about the idea of purchasing superpower insurance, like that superheroes can't just be running around busting shit up. Yep. They got to like cover their insurance premiums and things like that. It was um, it was a heartbreaker. All right. Penthouse on, uh, on on Park Avenue. Um, somebody's got to pay for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it it just it was definitely a heartbreaker. Um and appreciate, you know I appreciate superhero penthouse is an after show topic. So. <laughs> Jerry, let's talk about collaborative world building. <laughs> so um collaborative world building is basically when the GM along with the players build their world together. And uh, as I may do more and more games, I really like this a lot. Yeah. The first benefit is that's gonna distribute the workload. The GM's not gonna be responsible for coming with everything on their own. So they can focus on the things that they like and let the players bring other things in. Secondly, is it's going to move the GM out of their comfort zone a little bit. 
And then others are going to add elements. Because of that, the GM gets a chance to be surprised at things the way players are. And the GM is going to have uh, different things entering into their game. Because having different people contributing ideas than putting them all together is going to result in something that's often much more creative. There'll be ideas that come in. There'll be concepts. People will build off each other. Um, you know, the GM might have an idea of, well, I like, I want to make dwarves different. So I'm going to have them be X. And then a player is going to come in with, yeah, yeah. And then we can do this and this and this and this. And then the GM's like, oh, that's much better than what I had. Or, or that builds on what I said and is a much better coherent thing. Um, as a GM myself, I've always loved the idea of just, I've got an idea for something, but I don't know what I want to do with it. So I'm just going to toss it out there and let the players kind of ruminate about it. They're going to develop it much better than I would because it's something I'm just thinking about. And they're going to be in, you know, invested in it. So um, in addition, world, collaborative world building is going to help make for better player involvement. Yeah, I think we touched on this a little earlier, but let's um, let's expand on it, right? When, um, when players are involved in world building, they are giving GM ideas for the kinds of NPCs, encounters, and adventures that they're interested in, right? This is like a form of love lettering, right? We've talked about that years ago. Um, so yes, like that's what they start doing is like when you ask them for ideas, the ideas that spring to mind are the things they can, they want to see in the game. And this is going to uh, lead to increased player involvement in the world. Yep. Because now the things that they want are there. Exactly. And when the players are involved in world building, their contributions often build up with the ideas of the GM and the other players. Um, and that actually leads to just a better quality uh, world. Like you just, you will get, I, I have never, I have never been in a situation where my ideas uh, by themselves were better than my ideas combined with everyone else's ideas. I've like always found like, even if I have a cool idea, if everybody else contributes to it, it's just a cooler idea when it's done. And the part of it happens that GMs often get good ideas or plots they weren't expecting by building on the ideas of players. The GM is going to be sitting there and also the player is going to mention something and the GM is going to go, oh, you know, I know how I'm going to implement that in the game. Or, you know, I, that, that's something that works really well. And the best part is when the GM has an idea here an idea here, I'm thinking I want to do this, and then the stuff happens, and then in Adventure 4, we're going to do this, and the players come up with, ah, I know what's going to happen in Adventure 3 now, because they've just given you that hook. Um, it really moves things forward in a great way. Yeah, I mean, lastly, and I, 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 don't, I don't think this um, should be understated, um, collaborative world building can just be a lot of fun. Like it's a fun, like it's a fun activity to do is to sit around and like, and collaboratively build stuff. We'll talk later on in another section where we're talking about collaborative hex crawl. And that is something I love to do as a, as a, as a side hobby. Cool. And uh, all right. All right. Before we head into the break, can you guys both talk about a possible framework for doing some world building? All right. Well, there are tons and tons of ways to do world building, but we're going to focus on the collaborative method but you can make it solo by doing any of these things we're gonna talk about by yourself. But we're gonna talk about how we do it collaboratively. Yeah, right, so step one is inventory. What do you have, what are you missing? Right, so look at the game you're running, figure out what general categories of world building are you missing, right? Um, if you're building a world from scratch, uh, you know, that list might be everything, right? You've like almost nothing done. 
Um, for a fantasy game, you might need things like uh, the gods, or you might need to know how magic works. Or maybe you you know don't need to know how magic works. Um, for your sci-fi game, you might need to know how faster than light travel works. Like you might not need to know the physics of it, but you might need to decide like is it warp gate? Is it jump drives? Is it folded space? Whatever. For your modern game, like most of your world is you know built because it's the modern world. Um, but you might need to know something like what government agency hunts monsters for your modern game, right? You might have to make up an agency or something. So make a list of the things that come right to mind that are missing, but don't, don't start building yet, right? Just make a list, inventory the things that are eventually going to need to get built. Then go on to step two and decide what are the things the GM needs to know and Again, if you're doing collaborative, while the GM might start this list, the players may be telling the GM things they think that the GM might want to know about also, because the players might feed into this. So, for example, things missing from your inventory. What do you need as the GM in order to make the world logical? What do you need to make it make sense? In your fantasy game, uh, maybe all powers are handed down by the gods. You need to work out the overall cosmology of the world to make sense. So on your inventory, mark these down. These are the things the GM needs to know. Step three, what elements do you need for the situation of the game, right? Coming back to Jason Pitt's structure, like Mm -hmm. based on what the characters do in the game, what parts of the world need to be worked out so the characters can actually act in the game? Mm -hmm. You know, for example, if your game is about monster hunting, um, you might need to make up some stuff about the types of monsters that inhabit the world. Uh, and, you know, maybe some cultures or some, sim- you know, some simple things about monsters. Um, for this, I would also say zoom in a bit, right? Because the elements you need for your situation might be many, right? And characters can't do all of that stuff in day one, like in their first session or so. So, like, pull your focus to, like, what will you need for the first four sessions, Right. Like if your monster hunting thing, like you might jot down like, well, my monsters, like the monsters in my world include like vampires and demons and angels and pixies. But are all of them going to be in the first four sessions? Maybe you just need like pixies. Right. And like that's what you're going to focus on. So you can make the bigger list, but really like zoom in, like put some stars next to the ones that are going to come up in those first few sessions now mark that down on the inventory um what those elements are right because we're, we're marking out on the inventory like all the things that we're going to need to build um also note that some of the things for the situation may overlap with things the gm needs to know that's fine that's okay like then you already marked it and you just confirmed that you need it again for the situation yep. all right the next thing you want to do is find out what do the players and characters need to know. Aside from all the elements above, which you might share with them, what else do the characters need to know about the world in order to function in the game and be able to make decisions? So we talked about this before, you know, what species are available, um, what skills are available, what tech levels available, what information do they need to know about how much their character is going to know going into the game. And as above, just zoom in here as well. Just look at the things they need to know in the first four or so sessions. Um, if they're not going to get involved with the big bad until adventure six, you don't even know have to have the big bad and they don't need to know about it yet. They just need to know what's going on in the local town. Um, if you're playing the village of Hamlet, they basically need to know that there's a town, there's a bigger town further on, 
there's been some goblins and, and, and bugbears and the like kind of attacking people in the area. And that years ago, this happened as well. And so now people are worried it's coming back. That's really all you need to know. Build your characters. Go for it. You know, that's the kind of stuff you need to know for the, for the backstory. The whole arc of the Temple of Elemental Evil story doesn't need to come into it until after the first four sessions. So go from there. This is actually what a lot of the Pathfinder adventure paths do, is that book one of almost every adventure path is very, very localized, and the players don't even find out about the big story until the very end of the first book. Um, so that's a good guideline to start with. All right, next. Yeah, the next one's pretty quick, right? Um, step five, uh, figure out what you need to work on solo and what can be um, done in collaboration, right? So just take that list of all the things you identified and just um, sort them out, right? Be like, okay, these things I need to do solo because, you know, the players can't, you know, like players shouldn't know about these things. These things we can all do together, um, that kind of thing. Then if you're the GM, Work on those solo parts. Get that stuff put together. Set that aside to work on by yourself. Yeah. Uh, and then th step seven, right? Take the rest of it and work on it collaboratively. Cool. Um, so now that you have an idea of what you need to collaborate on, um, you can facilitate a session to do some world building. Uh, there are so many ways you can do this, right? There are so many ways you can facilitate this kind of world building. Uh, we are just going to touch on just a few, like just a few ideas that you could run with. So if your world needs some sort of history, consider something like playing a short game of Microscope. Um, this is a game where the players collaboratively build a world. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I love Microscope. Um, mm -hmm. I have done, I don't think I've ever played an actual game of Microscope. I have done very um, Microscope-esque kind of things to do historical world building. Um Okay, another thing you can do, make someone responsible um, for different elements. Um, like one person is the person who's going to define technology and one person's going to do like religion and one person's going to do um, like cities and societies and stuff. Like you can just basically assign people to um, contribute certain parts. They're all the creation of similar elements. Um, everybody makes one species, one planet, one piece of tech. Um, and a great example of this is in our recent Cortex. Uh, we did a pre-game where Phil came up with the basic framework of what he wanted to run as, as the theme of the adventures, and then said that there's going to be a bunch of planets around a central adventure area for the beginning of the campaign. And then we all sat down together, and Phil had uh, each of the players plus himself design a basic planet with just a sense or two about the dominant biome, something interesting about the planet, what makes it unique. It's going to make it fun to be on. And then Phil took the planets, read them out to everybody so we could all kind of nod along and make a couple extra little notes on them. Then he shuffled them all together and handed them out again so that everybody ended up with a planet they hadn't designed. And then we all designed an intelligent species and culture for the new planet we've been given. And so within about 20 minutes, we had four new species and four planets with a few adventure hooks and some cultures to interact with. And we all had a good time just kind of coming up with ideas and building off things. And um, this was interesting because it also gave us that um, unexpected hook, because even though we designed a planet and maybe we had an idea of what we wanted to put together as a species for that planet, being given a different planet put us out of our comfort zone again. And now we come up with something different and new. And um, it was fun to watch. I'm sure Phil and Bob saw the same thing. You could see as, as the planet 
uh, descriptions were being read out loud. Everybody's eyes lighting up. Oh, I've got an idea for that. I've got an idea for that. It, it really built very quickly. Um, it was a lot of fun and didn't take that long. But now we've got um, a much more coherent um, like game universe. And we all know what we're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, next thing you can do, um, community hex crawl design. So the GM will pick an area, like a solar system, a nation, a territory, et cetera. And then the GM and players will just take turns describing some aspect of it. Could be a terrain feature, could be a culture, could be a species, a community, um, or an adventure site. Um, you know, and if you're doing this like with an actual hex map, like not only can you describe it, you can actually just like like put, like draw it right on the map. Just, you know, here's my adventure site. You know, this is a um, partially destroyed tower made of, you know, um, what seems to be smooth rock. Just leave it right there, right? Just put it down kind of thing. So yeah, you can totally, and just go around and fill in until like either everybody's had so many turns or so many hexes are full, like whatever, like whatever your criteria is for when you want to stop. The next thing you can do is use random tables from different source books. Um, there are lots of great source books on drive through RPG for all sorts of genres. There are things like the Dungeon Dozen. Um, there are uh, books like the Wandering Homunculus. Um, that just have tables upon tables of everything from characters to locations to concepts to uh, there's all there's one out there that every week the the host or the blog posts a different uh, weird fantasy kind of dungeon crawl classic style table of sometimes it's just settings sometimes it's descriptions sometimes creatures there are all these great tables out there um, and most of the ones on drive through RPG tend to be pretty cheap, like a buck for a, for a, a table with a lot of stuff in it. And that um, also supports your local gamer, which is good. Yeah, you can also just, uh, like, you can also, like, scavenge other games. Um, mm-hmm. Traveler has a whole set of tables for making planets. Um, they're pretty nifty. Like, there's a bunch of Traveler, different Traveler PDFs floating around. You can get, a, you know, I, I believe, like, some of them are even either free or very low cost. You can get, you know, ones that have the... the um, planet generation tables in them um the um forbidden lands in the gm book has a whole set of uh tables for making towns uh that was actually a lot of fun pretty easy just roll i think it's like six or seven like there's six or seven questions with um with tables that you roll on to get the answer so things like what is this town known for um who's the ruler what is the what is the tavern in this town like those kinds of things um totally just like you could use that for your fantasy game you don't have to use it for um for the game it's from like feel free to like steal those things um there was and i wish i could remember the name of it there is a fantastic one for cyberpunk games it is a uh it came out like a like a couple years ago um and it's um it's not for any particular cyberpunk game it's just cyberpunk in general and it had like just a bajillion tables as well as it had some drop tables, which I thought was really cool. Like, you know, where you just drop throw the table. dice down, you know, on, you know, onto the page kind of thing. Um, so there's like, like Jerry said, there's like no shortage of these things um, out there on drive through Jerry, you've got one more, right? Like I forgot about oh, yeah. this one. This one's a classic. Oh. Um, for second edition D and D TSR part of a book called the world builders guidebook. And I always liked this one because this book broke up world building 
for fantasy in this case, into different layers, starting from cosmic and cosmology down to individual businesses and everything in between. And the introduction talked about how the gym could pick up things they had in mind, like a town or a nation or a forest, and then scale up and down in any direction with lots and lots of charts. Um, and the idea was that you don't have to design your entire world. Just what do you want to do? If you want to have a town, fine. Start with the town chart, fill in the stuff you already know. You can roll tables. You can have your players roll tables for things. You want to know what the predominant uh, species are in your world. You can roll for those. And the idea was that you just flipped each chapter, which was only like four or five pages long, was a different layer of detail in the, in the game world. And they told you could skip whole sections. Like you could do like nation and town and not worry about what was in between. You could start with um, the gods and just decide, okay, who are the predominant gods? Roll for three gods. Those are the ones that are going to be important for your first adventure and then fill in the rest. Um, it's still available on DriveThruRPG. Um, it's actually better on DriveThruRPG than um, when I bought it in, in, in Dead Tree Edition because you can just print the charts out because they give you lots of charts and tables and they even give you um, uh, maps for making your world, including the the uh, what do they call the one that we always used in schools, the Mercator projection, where it's kind of the where Greenland is really big. They give you that D20 with the little triangles on it with all the hexes on it. So you can actually build all the continents on your world on this world and then cut it out and make it into a little globe if you wanted to. Um, anyway, it's 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 not the be all or end all, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and I've used it uh, recently, actually, to, to help in some spots where we wanted to, to fill in some things. And uh, it steals a lot from the Traveler books because it talks about things like how much water is on the world, what tech levels in the world. So it's a really neat way of doing that. And um, as you said, Traveler has a lot of good guides. Um, while we're talking real quick about drive through RPG, I'd like to mention that um, if you um, are part of the Bundle of Holding or Humble Bundle, um, if you ever, uh, if you've ever done that, or get on their mailing list, about once a year, uh, the bundle of holding does a traveler bundle for for pennies that gets you all the old books, and that's just full of sci-fi charts for yourself. I think the basic one ends up being like eleven dollars, and the and the you get twenty books thing is like like eighteen or something like that. So they, I, I think they also frequently have a world builders. Yes, um, they do world builders bundle. Like that's that actually a pretty yeah common that's occurrence really cool. as well that's full of more goodies right like mm -hmm. yeah and there are there are cards there are story weavers has a lot of this kind of stuff out there there are another game company that has um decks of cards for like worlds and stuff there's so many nice resources out there um that you can take or leave as you wish and remember whenever you're going to use one of these just because you've got it doesn't mean you have to use everything in it yep. it's your world and your player's world so if you all roll and when we're rolling this chart, what do we end up with? Oh, you know, um, dwarves are the predominant species on the planet. I don't really like dwarves. I don't want them to be everywhere. Okay, let's do something else. You know, let's do orcs are the predominant species, whatever. You could always throw it out. It's the part of the fun of building it as a collaboration. You can always talk about things. So, good. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm just going to mention something really quick before we, we jet out to the, the halfway point. Um, in general. If you're doing some, if you're doing world building collaboratively, um, use an X card tool, like yeah. have a way to delete uh, material. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be for safety reasons, but it could be just like Jerry said, right? Like um, you can just use it for editing material. Like 
Jerry rolls and is like the predominant species is going to be dwarves. And somebody's like, oh, just finished playing like a whole all dwarf game. X that, please. Can you just re-roll? Like have that tool. It helps. Um, it also helps for safety purposes, right? If somebody says something or designs something um, that is, you know, potentially problematic or ableist or something like, like you then have that ability to be like, oh, not that like. Uh, you know, can we take that out for this reason, that reason, like yep. just have that editing tool say slash safety tool in place. It's, it will definitely help. Um, I, think if, I think if we're going to talk collaboration and you're talking safety, you should discuss something. This came up in one of the, um, you need to decide early on and kind of agree that um, once a player decides something, another player can't create something that undoes that first player's choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we no. had, the, and we had this happen where we had, one of the players talked about wanting to be a gentleman dwarf duelist and being part of the dwarven aristocracy and being a duelist and all that and had this whole thing on his character concept. And then other players like, wouldn't it be cool if dwarves were all feral barbarians? And we're like, no, because this character, this player already said, this is the character he wants to build. Your, your design would undo that. We can have a separate culture of them, but that can't be the predominant dwarf thing because it'd be tougher for this player. And, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. You know, the other player wasn't, like, trying to be a jerk about it. Yeah. They were just like, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't even think about that, you know. But having that rule in place ahead of time means that um, you don't have to explain it away. And while among friends, it makes sense you do that, it just, it's good to have it on the table. Um, and if you do want to come up with something that is different than what some other players said, that's when you say, hey, I've got an idea, but it, but it, I've got an idea, but I think it goes against what you just designed. This is what I was thinking. And then people collaborate to make it work, especially the two players who are working at it. Like, well, I like your idea too. Let's talk about why this works, you know, whatever. So just, but that's a good, that's another safety tool to have in place. I like the idea of safety when we do. I like the idea of safety at all tables. I think we all agree. Yeah. 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 I mean, in general, right. like safety is never going to fail you. No. So this is our overview of world building. And we're going to take a break and check in with the chat room. But before we do, Bob was going to tell us about another show in the District of Mark Network. Yeah. Tonight we're going to talk about the lounge. <clears throat> Doc Palindrome is going to find the best, the brightest, and the most fun game designers, and he sits down with them, and he has a cool chat, and he records it, and you never know what kind of conversation is going to come up in the lounge. Very interesting stuff. Good, good, good. Good, good, good. Um, how are we doing tonight? We're pretty quiet, right? Very just, quiet uh, chat room tonight. Hence yeah. the reason why we're going on hiatus, right? Like, <laughs> no. The, the, um, the no, we have a lot of... Tend to... You know, this time of year, we have a lot of people out. We have a lot of people out. Our queen is our queen is delayed. um, Yep, is delayed in flight. I don't know where uh, Andy Fox is. Um, We do have a few people in the chat room, so it's nice. Yep, Yep. Um, but it's quiet. It's quaint. That's fine. All right, we'll jump. Anything? Anything? Anybody want to jump in from YouTube about world building before Um, we, um, before we kick it over? Yeah, I, 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 I would say but, just tacking onto the safety uh, question or the safety topic. Um, again, even if you're sitting down playing with people that you've played with the same five people at the same table for 10 years and you all know each other and you're all good friends, you never know when somebody's going to hit something that's going to be, you know, a, like a surprise trigger. You know, yeah. you never know. And it's one thing to be like, oh, can we, you know, take this out because I don't like, I don't want, whatever. But 
It's also nice if you've got the traditional safety tools in place that say, okay, X card, I don't have to explain what's going on yeah. and what my thought process is. I just, boom, I trigger the safety tool. We walk past that thing and, 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 and we just leave it. So yeah. if you have something that, that, that all of a sudden goes like, oh, and it's problematic in your mind and you're like, oh boy, you can just, without even saying anything, just boop, it's gone. And that's it. So you don't have to go through the whole conversation. Da, da, da. Those, those safety tools put that little extra layer in place where everybody can stay at a certain comfort level and you don't have to worry about anything becoming an issue. So I think it's good to have even for a world building thing. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. So diving right into the second half, we're going to do the round table starting with question number one. Question number one was been, what have been some of your favorite world building experiences? Yeah. So I started thinking about this for my answer and, um, and there were two that really stood out to me and I, I saw Phil was going to talk about the one. I'm like, all right, let him take that one. And I'll talk about the other one. We had sat down to do a game of the sprawl and we did our, our world building in advance of getting that game up and running where we were coming up with a bunch of cyberpunk corporations, um, as part of, you know, the whole process and, we went through this whole thing, and as this thing bloomed organically with the input from everybody at the table, all of a sudden we had this this high-level conspiracy that all of these major corporations were all involved with, and that it, it like added a whole other element to it. It, it. For whatever reason, I honestly don't remember what killed that game, but there was a general level of excitement about that world when we finished all of the, 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 the world building and the session zero stuff to get ready for it. And, um, it was really enjoyable. I had a really good time with that. And, and unfortunately the game just kind of didn't happen where we'd like two the, sessions. The good news is we didn't actually spoil any of the material we had. No, like, we what didn't. Happened so we was, could always go back. What happened was Chris wasn't going to be able to play. And then we were going to like try to put the hacker in a box. And then it was like, uh, like, yeah, that's um, true. And I think it was just like, it wasn't working. Like it fell apart. Um, yeah. And it was a Thursday thing. And I think we like, we were having trouble grouping together on Thursdays, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, it was also coming close, I think, to um, summertime. And I was going to need the Thursdays for packing and moving. Yep. Yes. Again, this is why, like, so we did a bunch of world building, but we did it in one evening. I did a little solo world building on the side about what the conspiracy was going to be um, like what the conspiracy was really about. And then, um, and then like we shelved it, yeah. which is fine. Like that's what happens, but we didn't create a ton of material or use up a ton of time. Yeah. So that game is like still hanging out there. Like the ideas are all there um, and we could come back to it. Yeah. Maybe we will. Maybe yeah. we won't. Unlike the um, fifty-page superhero manifesto that you slaved over, yeah. you know this oh, is man. material that you know. <laughs> oh man, manifesto is a um, <laughs> manifesto is 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 a pretty accurate world for or word for that. Like, oh, I'm yeah. I am pretty embarrassed about it because like it was very overboard, and while I had a lot of fun doing it, 
the amount of game that we got based on how much I wrote. Like, yeah, it was it was very much a um, it very much taught me that lesson about four four games and don't overdo it heading it like until you've gotten like until you've cleared that fourth game. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. Jerry, what do you got? <clears> hey, <throat> okay, uh, a couple of years ago, and I've mentioned this a couple times in the geek show already, uh, we decided to do a Savage Worlds game that was going to be completely table table sourced. Um, we called it Lithotier, and uh, I came in and said, okay, there's a couple of things I don't want to have in the game. There's a couple of things I do want to have in the game. And other than that, uh, we just built it all up from there. We set some basic guidelines and had a very rough prehistory. And then we went on describing the characters and species that the players wanted to play. And then they built the world from there. And we did everything from rolling on the, the World Builders Guidebook to figure out the dominant species uh, to deciding like how big the world was and what was on it. And then discussed, um, once we had the character species all picked, we talked about how they interact with each other. So some things that came out that, that I was not expecting was that goblinoids became the dominant culture goblins orcs and there had been a major catastrophe that almost destroyed the world like an apocalypse and the goblinoids were the ones who recovered first and so they were dominant and were much more cultured um and we tried to make everything a little different so they had one of the players get the idea that orcs were very honor bound very much like a combination of um uh like the klingons with um uh almost like a, a, a an honor class uh they called them the samurai we had dwarves with a culture that was divided. There were the upper class dwarves and the lower class dwarves, and they the divide between them was very, very strong. You never married between them, and so that caused a lot of problems. Um, the elves made the best magic or made the best weapons, um, but they did it by using blood magic from sentient species. So if you wanted to have like, hey, I'm a you know, I'm a I'm a bugbear, or even better, I'm a human, and I want to have a sword that gives me all these special abilities. Uh, the elves would go out and they'd find another human, kill them, use their bones to make the, the blade, and then use the blood from the human to make it bonded so that you could actually wield it. And that was a secret that came out later on in the game, but we talked about a little bit that something about the elves' elves' weapons was something that they didn't like. And, uh, and the human cultures were trying to recover, so they were all a little disturbing. There was one that was very colonial. There was one that was um, basically trying to, um, like, use magic to create new subspecies of humans and so on so it's a lot of fun and um none of that was stuff i was planning initially and as we went around everybody just kept building on it and building on it and building on it um and one of the things we did was every week uh because this was savage worlds everybody got an extra betty we would have a topic for the night and everybody gave one description and we did get a betty if they gave us a good description they always did give us so like one time we're like okay we know what the three major gods are everybody give me another god and just give me like a three sentence description of what um, culture is around them. So somebody's like, oh, the God, the, the lesser God of, you know, the kitchen. And so their rights are that people come and you have to bring the best food and so on. And we just kept building the world every week that way. And so it, it, it worked very, very well. Um, the one fallback to that was that because we were, this was so hodgepodge together that it was a little tougher to plan out adventures too far ahead because we didn't have a major big bad for a while. And so there was a lot more of our chaotic adventures for the first couple of weeks because we didn't know where they were going. We didn't have a strong history. We didn't have, what I didn't do 
I did not have a sit down and talk about the organizations and I should have done that. I didn't, I didn't think about who the organizations were in the world. And that meant that a lot of things were just kind of bouncing around, moving from place to place. Um, but it was fun for a while and we had a good time with it. And uh, we used a lot of tools for it. So anyway, Phil. Yeah. So I think my favorite one that I ever did was, um, was for masks. Um, a few years ago, uh, Bob Glenn, Tony and I were playing a masks game and um we needed to kind of like set up the world, the city and stuff. And so um, what I did was I did a uh, microscope, like I facilitated a microscope like um, session where uh, we divided up the world into the comic book categories, the golden age, the silver age, um, the iron age. Right. And then like the new millennium kind of you know those ages right so like you know the silver age was like the uh the golden age was like the world war ii the silver age was the 50s um in like 50s 60s kind of thing and um within each one we had um we went around the table putting in elements but what we did was i had i I guided it a little by having some stuff filled out and some stuff empty so the things we filled out for each age was um, who were the major heroes of that age? Who were the major villains of that age? Um, and just by name, like we didn't even like detail them out unless we needed to, but like just roughly, like who were the major villains? Who were the, um, who were the heroes? Um, what were some of the major locations in the city that were important? What was a city? I think it was like a historical event about the city. And then the last one was what, um, what major comic book story, right? Like what crossover event occurred in this age? Um, And we did it for all the ages. And I think we bounced, I think we went from age to age um, and it created a, it just created a really cool um, history. Um, Like our history had, um, had queer, queer civil rights occurred like way earlier. Um, Bob's character was the legacy. So we actually like built out his, like his relatives, like the, like his legacy that he actually grew into. Um, And because of that, um, I think because of the work we did there, the, um, your grandmother Mm -hmm. who was, you know, who was your main connection to your legacy. She was like an awesome character by the time. That was one of the best NPCs we had. She was fantastic. And on top of that, the stuff that we laid down during those um, during that world building event was all the material I used to build out the entire story arc. So our whole thing about um, Tesla knocked out of time and fighting the 25th century and like all this stuff was like all part of that world building exercise. It was fantastic. It was so much fun. Um, And it really did feel um it felt like a comic book oh yeah that it that's that was the coolest part like it felt like a comic book um when we played it and that that whole process um gave me so much to ground my character for where he was in the moment when we started the game and what his thought processes were and all of that like if we hadn't done that and i just got okay i'm the legacy whatever like it, he would have been like super two dimensional. Like, he'd yeah. have been flat uh, until I added stuff in as we played, and it's like you know that's good sometimes, but 
going into that game with all of that material and all of those different storylines in the history was amazing. It's one of my favorite campaigns we've ever played. Yeah. And I mean, I just loved like, it it was so just so good how much stuff like we generated out of it. And like, if we went back and played it, like we could totally play it again because all that world building stuff still exists. Oh yeah. Not only that, we could go back to that game and we could play in any of those ages too. Yes. Yes, exactly. Cool. What's our next question? Question two is, what is your favorite world building activity? For me, it's building off other ideas. Uh, when somebody else adds something, you build it from there. Um, about, God, it must be six years ago now, um, in one of the Facebook groups, somebody printed up a four-page uh, randomly generated hex crawl, just four pages of, of, of a world, two and two, um, eight and a half by 11 with, so there were, 88 hexes on each page and they already had random terrain in them and they were numbered and the rule was you could not um post you could not describe a hex adjacent to a hex you've already described and you could not describe a hex until at least three other people had posted and you had to do them in order so we did like one two three all the way down the line like this um but you were allowed to build off other people's ideas and so you'd see somebody talk about um, you know, that this mountain area is known because the dwarves have erected a, a tower there. Um, and the dwarves built the tower and the dwarves built the tower a hundred years ago, but the dwarves have never been in the tower. And that would be their description. And then the next person would discuss, you know, that this is a small town located in the forest. And among the people living there um, are adventurers who regularly head up to try to get into this tower that nobody's gotten into. And then when it came, when the next set of hexes next to him came down, somebody else would describe that, you know, this cave is filled with things and rumors are that it's, you know, creatures that have escaped from the tower or whatever. And so everybody kept building on their stuff. And you saw cultures get described because you'd have three or four people in a row describing, um, you know, plains dwelling elves. And then somebody else would have a city of plains. And it was neat to see how among about 20 different people, they developed this, this fairly large area um, it was all just hex crawl, people building off each other's ideas and adding in adding in uh, plots and so on. And this happens at the table too. When somebody says that they like, um, like I said, like some of the honor bound orcs, and somebody else said, oh, maybe they have like a samurai culture and that sort of thing. And it just built from there as it went. I love all that. Um, luckily, I was able to save that that hex crawl map and the descriptions because when we finished them, the person posting it put the whole thing up there for me to download. So um, I just love that. It was just fun to do. Every every couple hours, you'd tune back in to see what people did with the stuff that you designed. So, Bill? Yeah, my favorite world-building activity. Um, I, I really like going off and doing the discoverable parts. Um, I really, like, I really had a lot of fun. It, it was a decent amount of work, but I had, like, a lot of fun when I came up with the um, conspiracy, the vampire conspiracy for our current Knights Black Agents game. Actually, I had a lot of fun doing the other one too for our our other Knights Black Agents game, but like I, you know, like we sat down, and it took a bit because I wanted to kind of come up with something uh, a little more original, right? A little less, um, you know, um, classic Dracula, little something different, um, and also based on some of the feedback from you guys because after we had made characters, like Glenn's character took um, 
uh, fringe science. So I was like, all right, so I kind of need like fringe science to be part of this. And so like, I had a lot of fun. Um, and I, and I always have fun kind of coming up with that stuff. And I love, I mean, again, I, we've talked about this before. I love building conspiracies. So like conspiracies as world building, um, is absolutely a thing that I enjoy. So, um, I totally, um, I totally have fun sitting down and doing that. I, I have learned not to overdo it for the reasons that we've talked about tonight. Um, but I do enjoy that activity. So that is like probably my favorite part. Cool. Babo. So my favorite thing is uh, it's just the collaboration, just sitting down at the table with everybody else and all working at it together, bouncing ideas off of each other and, and seeing where that goes, that, that just the whole event really does it for me. I'm with you. <clears throat> cool. Right. Um, Question three, chair. All right. What's the hardest thing to do in a world building or what's your least favorite part of world building? No, I think I'm no? up, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Naming. Up. Naming. <laughs> God, I hate naming. I hate naming yeah. things. Um, I'm so bad at naming things. Um, I, I rely heavily on the use of um, on name generators because I just like if I make up names, they're just terrible like terrible uh so i will very quickly like while i'm world building if i'm world building solo um i will have a browser open where i am like looking up like random company names random this like you'd be surprised how many random name generators like exist on the uh on the internet so like (laughs) i like i do tons of those things like and i do it for my prep too because i also suck at naming in general so um, but yeah, like if I'm doing like world building and it's like, I need a, you know, name of a God, like I can't, like, if I come up with it, it's going to be awful. So like, I very much have to rely on, on, um, I very much have to rely on name generation tools, uh, to help me out. And, um, I will fixate on something dumb. Like what is the, like, what is the best sounding, um, you know, software company name? for this you know for this this piece of the world like i will fret about these things um so yeah uh naming is just like oh naming is like my bane yeah i don't what about you Bob? at all i i don't i don't have quite as much trouble um i'm not good at it but i'm not like horrible at it um but i do i go i go down the rabbit hole when i do that because I go and I try like, okay, if I'm going to come up with a name for this, is there anything that's really like, if I come up with an elf name, then I'm going to come up with a whole bunch of other names that are of a similar yep. style of name and say, these are all elf names. So that if yep. I ever need another elf name down the road, I've got like a scheme, a naming convention that I can use for stuff. I do that all the time. Um, to answer the question, um, I'm not sticking to the, to the, the, the uh, the letter of the question more the spirit because it's not really an, an a world building activity but I hate getting stuck like when we're doing the thing and everybody's going around the table and we're all coming and all of a sudden I draw that blank I can't stand that 
especially in a setting like that where we're all doing it together. It's one thing if I'm by myself trying to come up with something and I'm stuck and I get a blank. I'm like, okay. But everybody else is doing the stuff. I should have plenty of things to riff off of or to to tweak from, like whatever. And if I hit that that moment where I get stuck and I can't come up with anything, oh, that drives me nuts. That drives me like, it makes me so annoyed. Very, very, very bad. I get you. I get you. It's tough. It's tough when you get like, like, you know, brain locked on those things. Yeah. Yeah. It is. is. It's why the game categories works so well, right? Like (laughs) if you've ever played categories, like, you know, that's, that's like the whole premise of categories is like quickly under pressure, come up with, you know, a boy's name that starts with a T. Ah. Right, <laughs> right, and they just sit there paralyzed. Trigonometry, shit, and, and, <laughs> not... and, 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 and then you don't want to come up with one that anybody else has come up with either. That's the tricky yeah. part. Yes, yeah, yeah. Though uh, I've learned, though I've learned in categories that sometimes, um, it, sometimes if you just play right up the middle, yep, you can steal a few points because people will, like, people will be like, "Oh, I can't use Thomas." Everybody's going to use Thomas, and you're just like, "Nope." straight on through with Thomas. <laughs> yep, like, yep, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yep. You can outthink yourself. I, I agree with Bob by the way with naming. I, I like the idea that when you come up with a name, um, <laughs> you want to try to come up with uh, other naming conventions that go along with that. So if you're gonna come up with an elven name, you're like, oh elves uh, my uh, lots of double L's and GW's and you know start thinking that way. Um if you're having that thing when you want to come up with, with names one of the we're gonna go back to something is a flashback. Um the original Traveler species books for the Aslan and the Varder and the Kakri and all that, part of each of those books was a page that was random word generating. And you rolled for the number of syllables. And then for each syllable, you rolled whether it was going to be single vowel. You rolled and you got either single vowel, vowel consonant, consonant, vowel consonant, vowel consonant, vowel, and so on. And then, they, then you rolled on, on the next table and it told you, what those consonant and vowel combinations were. So you just took a handful of dice. I need a word for as for you know, I need an Aslan word for this spaceship, but I need it to be three three syllables long. Just rolled like like four dice, put them together, and now you had the Shakranaga, you know, or something like that. And it made sense. But going through those books and reading that, it became easier to think about how races talk looked at that. So that might be just something for people to look at. Um, those those race books had some really fun stuff, species race. They were called them race books back. They're species books. The species books had a lot of really cool like word generation. Um, but for me, my biggest stumbling block for world building is I overthink things, and because I want everything to fit consistently and logically. So if some if if I come up with something or I have an adventure in mind or something, and I've got to find out it can't just be well this happens because it happens. I want to know well why didn't the why didn't the dwarves just like purge the purge the the orcs from the city? Or why haven't the elves and the gnomes stopped fighting with each other after six thousand years when it was just a mistake? Whatever. Why hasn't this happened? Why have we done this? And it's very easy to get stuck in a way too detailed rabbit hole when you want everything in your game world to fit too consistently and logically. Um, this might just be a thing I do. I just obsessed over this. Um, and, uh, that affects other parts of my life as well. But, um, but, uh, when it comes to gaming, game design, 
um, in world design, I want everything to fit together. And so things have to make sense to me. And when they don't, it just irks me. And I can easily get sidetracked on that for too long. Um, and that's what killed Lithotir for me, was as I kept running the game, I couldn't logically figure out, well, why did this and this and this happen? Because every time the players added something, it changed that, which was great for the adventure. But on my end, I was like, well, okay, now this doesn't make sense anymore. This plot's not going to work, that kind of thing. So it sounds like somebody added, when you had, a, had an input on that one. Bill? No, I was just going to mention, um, if you really want to fall down a rabbit hole, mm -hmm. um, there's this website called Vulgar. Um, it's vulgarlang, um, okay. L-A-N-G dot com. Yeah. Okay. That is a fantasy language generator. Ooh. And um, like, this is for like serious language nerds. Like I own, I own a subscription to this, but like you, um, you go in and you can be like, cool. I want to use these consonants, these vowels and these like phonetic alphabet elements. And then like you can like you can then tweak a whole bunch of things and then you can say like generate new language and it will come up with a language and also give you i think if you just try the demo version of it it'll give you like 200 words um like a 200 word dictionary um if you sign up it gives you um like if you buy like a license for it it gives you like a 4000 word vocabulary for it so that you can just like make um like you know like you can find words you don't even have to make them up yeah. like you can just go yeah. look um and see if they're in the language dictionary that's really cool um yeah i was messing around with it early pandemic because I, I was doing some world building um by myself during early pandemic uh for an idea that i'm still kind of floating around although it's kind of evolved um but i was like oh maybe i would like to have my own language like i will mess with it but i will tell you that um i do not understand enough about um phonetics and language and stuff like that to like pull off all the real cool features um inside this thing like yeah. i don't understand how to program the phonetic alphabet you don't need to because you can just like throw some yeah. consonants and vowels at it and then just be like rip out a new language for me you can get enough surface really... level stuff to give you some some words to sprinkle in and yep. yeah yeah i like that a lot yeah vulgar lang it's called yep. yeah it's pretty neat cool so cool um all right so I, I got for that well that's a look at world building yeah we hope that um if you decide to do some world building in the future that our advice will um be of help and, you know, keep you uh, building what you need, but also giving you stuff that's gameable. There you go. All right. We're going to check in one more time with the chat room before we head off to the conversation corner. And uh, we had a note from Chromatic Chameleon. Uh, one thing that might be fun to do is a solo game creating background for the players as you play. That's a cool yeah. idea. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I like... Um, I like world building background generating like just as a general thing um so uh like i i'm, I'm like uh, jerry in in one respect where like if there's tools to do it i like to pick up the tools that's why i have card decks of all kinds of shit and and you know anything that's got like tables to help you and stuff like that but turning it into like a little solo game kind of a thing for for that type of thing is a cool idea 
I, I love those tools. Like I will, um, like, and like I will, I, I always collect those tools like you guys, right. I'm like the exact same as, uh, uh, what you call it. I'm the exact same as you guys. Like those tools, I like, I will pick them up because I will, you never know. Yeah. Like you never know when you're going to need them. Just like, Oh, I, you know, yeah. I don't know. I think I'm going to probably need this one day. Um, yeah. My favorite one are the short order hero cards, right? Like yes. I love those, those personality those really cool. cards. Um, those are fantastic. I use those constantly. Like I've had a deck, I've had, I've had my deck forever and I absolutely love them. Um, I'll, I'll use them in a heartbeat. Um, I, you know, I keep them with me for making up NPCs on the fly in the game, but I will use them during prep. I will use them during world building, like never, never tire of, yep. of those, uh, never tire of those things and if i find anything that does like you know occasionally i've come across things like random planet generation i'm fairly confident if i was to hit the googles right now and look for uh traveler world generator fairly confident i'm going to find a web page yeah in fact i'm just gonna just type it (laughs) just doing it right now there you go and let's see what pops up traveler system generator there you go Somebody out there has been like, you know, it'd be great if there was a tool that would help do this. And then boom, they make a tool and away you go. Fast planet's terrible. God. (laughs) I'm just looking looking at this. Wow. Starport D for poor. Um, Only unrefined fuel available. No repair shipyard. No naval base. A scout base. Yes. Um, Trace atmosphere requires use of a vac suit. No freestanding water. Only a few hundred inhabitants in a that democracy. Is an emergency stopping point. <laughs> uh, tech yeah. level zero. No prohibitions. Whoa. And uh, I'm sorry, law level zero. No yeah, prohibitions. You, you can't have tech level zero with a no. with a, with a atmosphere no. like that. Uh, tech level seven. Uh, circa yeah. 70s to 80s. Yeah. Like, Wow, this place is a dump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna roll again. Anyway, its nickname is Backwater. Um, it's bad. It's bad, my friend. Bad. Yep. Oh, what's mm-hmm. cool though is you can uh, uh, what you call it. Um, you can re-roll any one of the individual. Like you can re-roll to get it to generate the whole thing, or you can just go back and be like, um, "This tech level's bad. I'm just gonna uh, re-roll that a couple times. See what I get." Circa five is worse. Anyway, um, cool. but yeah, I love those kinds of tools. Like when you yep. can hunt down. Um, it's funny you any- mentioned Vulgarlang, and I, I went and I plugged it into my my browser search, and the little star was already filled in in Chrome. It's like, oh, I bookmarked that at some point in the past already. So <laughs> it's like I already knew about things- that. One. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's roll on over to the conversation corner then. All right. Let's get down into the stuff that's been uh, keeping us going for a while here. Um, I mentioned I've been working my way slowly through Parks and Recreation. Um, I'm into season two. Uh, Interesting show with an interesting format. Um, I I did not expect the... um, It's like... The, it's it's fourth wall breaking, but it's like like a documentary. Like there's a film crew constantly filming them doing yep. whatever they're doing, and it's like okay, I get it. That's interesting. <laughs> Not what I expected, but um, funny, 
Um, there's some, some, some bits in there that are just like uh, a little tiny bit cringy, but um, yeah. watching Chris Pratt, <laughs> where he came from before he became Star-Lord is like a very interesting uh, perspective. Before you get the Marvel treatment. Yeah. Um, the um, third and final season of Lost in Space on Netflix just dropped at the beginning of December. So I'm like three episodes into that season. Um, and um, I love the show. I'm having a, I'm having a, a real good time watching it. Uh, it's well written. It's well acted. Um, I was disappointed to find out that it's the final season, but at least they're like, we know we're telling a, like an enclosed story. When we're done with the story, it's over. And they're not going to just keep going and, you know, and then run into that thing like, you know, we're trying to come up with ideas for what to do next. And just tell a story. You don't have to have a show that goes 15 seasons, right? If you want to tell a story and the story is going to take four seasons to do, then tell four season story. Do it and be done with it. Yep. The, the, yep. I like the new paradigm in um, series television where sometimes it's bingeable, sometimes it's not, but, you know, we're doing X number of episodes. They're going to yep. be varying lengths based on what we want to say in this episode, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I'm fine with that. That's great. Tell your story. Don't let someone make you pad it out to a number of episodes that you don't want to do and, and, you know, do your thing. So that's cool. Yep. Um, I started a chronologic, chronological um, Marvel rewatch. So I'm watching the MCU in chronological order. Um, thankfully, they have in Disney Plus, they have a row dedicated to that. So they've got like a bunch of just different stuff based on what's like the new hotness. Like they've got a Ten Rings row. That's everything that's got something to do with the Ten Rings. Um, they've got Phase 4, Phase 3, Phase 2, Phase 1. And then they've got chronological and so you can sit there and you can go through the only thing that's missing is the hulk and the spider-man movies because those aren't uh distributed by buena vista so or paramount so <laughs> excuse me so i'm going through that and i just finished up uh guardians 2 guardians of the galaxy 2 so i'm sorry no uh, after Guardians of the Galaxy one and two, it jumped into uh, Winter Soldier, I think. Oh, so I've Winter Soldiered. Like... So now the next thing up is uh, Black Panther and Black Widow. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah, I think very good stuff. Something like that. Anyhow, so I'm doing that. Um, I, I bought some more Lego, um, and uh, <clears throat> the other day I just grabbed one of the new sets that I'd bought and I just put it together. I was having one of those days. So it was a slow day. So I just put it together. And the most recent one I got, um, I got, I bought two sets. I bought the, um, it's from the Mandalorian. It's the ship. I forget what it's, but it's from the Mandalorian, the end of season two, that ship that they, that they go on the Imperial, Imperial cruiser. Uh, cruiser, Imperial cruiser. Um, I bought that set. And then I also cool. bought the the little armored, um, the armored troop thing that they used in uh, in the one episode with uh, Cara Dune and Grief Karga. Um, so they had that thing that they drove out of that complex and and down, and they had that chase. Um, mm -hmm. So I bought that set. That was a small, and I put that thing together uh, yesterday or the day before. Um, that's not a, not a bad build. 
and it comes with three uh, three uh, stormtroopers, which was cool, um, and it comes with grief carga. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, why is my internet unstable? Stop that. Hmm? Here we go. Um, Jerry and I decided that we were gonna we were gonna jump back in and do some Valheim one night. So on Friday we were like, okay, let's do Valheim tonight, and that turned into a uh, a project because. We said, well, let's get together around 8 o'clock and we'll jump on Valheim. And at about quarter two, I I tried to jump on. And there was an update to the system. And because there was an update, you have to do an update on the server. I'm like, okay, fine. So I have Chris's credentials for the server because he was the one that set it up. And I jumped in and it wouldn't let me log in as him because it, for whatever reason, it wanted to do a validation. Um, It doesn't always do it. Apparently, it does it periodically where it sends you a code by email. So I'm like, ah, oh, Chris, okay. I got to get a, you know. So I had to wait for Chris to get back to me. And then he sent me the code when I tried to log in again. Then I was able to log in and update the server. And then finally Jerry and I got on and we went out and discovered, well, I had already known it was a <laughs> new thing. But we discovered that the algorithm for how this new creature is supposed to appear, I think it's broken <laughs> because it's supposed to be kind of rare. And we ran into a shit ton of these new monsters in the swamp. And the first one kicked my ass and almost killed Jerry. And it was just like... Jerry was unaware there was a new monster in the game to begin with. (laughs) (laughs) But didn't I tell you before we hit it? No, no. We were there and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is that? And it's, it's basically, if you're, if you're a fan of, of love hp lovecraft it's basically a dark young of shabigaroth and it is terrifying at the at the power level that we are at yeah um it's big it's fast it's immune to about two-thirds of the weapons that we have at this level um and uh and then i ran away from it because bob died and i was trying to get to a place where i could help bob get back to his body and there was another one and i ran from that one back to the first one which chased me to a third one and it was just, it was it was a, it was a terrifying <laughs> yeah. night of how you got away from three of them uh, i'll never know but yeah so that turned uh, into an adventurous night in valheim um mm-hmm. but now we know the secret because they're they're super susceptible to fire um well fire does mm-hmm. regular damage to them but there are these things in the swamp and then i'll, I'll move on from this we don't want to spend too much time on it but there are these things in the swamp that are these fire jets that come up out of the out of the, the Florida swamp out of the water, and they spawn these these little fire demon things called certlings. Well, if you can lure this monster, it's called an abomination. If you can lure the abomination to that jet of fire, that thing will just jack the hell out of it. So I got into a position where I lured it over there and I kept moving around to get it to kind of stay in the fire. <laughs> and its health went, because well, it got like 800 hit points. It's got a huge amount of health. And it just, and then finally it died. So I was like, whoo. <laughs> um, I mean, now I feel like you're going full princess bride on that. <laughs> yeah. It's, Where it's, are the ROUSs? It's, um, uh, and then uh, to finish off before I hand it off to Jerry, um, because the queen was in town, got to visit with the queen, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hung out for a while and uh, I am looking forward to um, kind of looking forward to the holidays, getting together with some people and hanging out. Um, 
because there was that long stretch where it's like not hanging out with anybody. Everybody was in isolation and everything. And it's like we're back to where we can hang with our, our close circle of friends because we're all vaccinated and boosted and, you know, all of that stuff. And now it's like, you know, it's uh, the holidays. At least we think we can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Or Enough now. of me. Jerry. I'll, I'll start with Valheim. Valheim, we had a lot of fun playing. Um, how I escaped from them is I figured out real quick that they could not go between trees and that yeah. they, and that while they were fast on the ground, they didn't attack as fast as trolls. So if I ran between trees, I could pause for a second to recover enough stamina to run to the next group of trees. And that's what I was doing is I was just jumping from, from copes of trees to copes of trees. Occasionally they knock a tree over and I could dodge it. But that was, that was how I survived them was stay out of the water and go from tree to tree. So that's the, that, that was my thing. Um, my first big thing is, um, friend of mine who does some artwork online and actually did some of the counters and artwork for the first game I, I, I wrote, um, decided to make a little tabletop battle game and for like uh, skirmishes. And um, so he's asked me to help him write it. So I've been in the, in the last week or so, I've been spending an hour or two a night just kind of going over some game design, which has been a lot of fun. It's fun to get back into that. Um, I watched Jupiter's Legacy on Netflix, which is another superhero series. Um, it's only eight episodes long, and I think that's all they're going to do, or maybe it's 10 episodes. Um, it's interesting, especially the modern day story stuff. It's, it's every episode is split between the adult characters today and then the adult characters when they got their powers back in the 20s. And it's a lot of fun. The modern day stuff is good. The 20s stuff, they kind of cut that down to like a half hour of, of backstory. But the rest of the series is really fun. If you like modern superhero stories with a lot of twists and turns and some decent superhero on supervillain action um it's a lot of fun um i'm still catching up on dexter there should be a new episode this week um we got to do some cortex with phil as i discussed um my wife had never seen uh shang chi so on thanksgiving we sat down with her sister and watched it and it was just as much fun on a second watch through um i've been on a superhero kick so we also watched aquaman and i've only seen it once and i forgot how much i love the fight with black manta um as a child who grew up in the 70s and 80s watching the old super friends cartoons and the aquaman um little seven minute shorts to see them get black manta right from the get-go and the fight sequence between him and aquaman is just a lot of fun um so with that super thing in mind i found out that there is a cartoon on netflix set in the jupiter's legacy era art world called super crooks about a bunch of super of very low-level super-powered criminals who decide to pull off an Ocean's Eleven-style heist, and it goes very badly wrong. So imagine <laughs> a bunch of criminals trying to pull off a heist, and it just it's but they've all got superpowers, and so do the people chasing them. Uh, so it's a comedy; it's an animated thing. Um, last couple of things: uh, we got to hang out with Sunda on Sunday, and that was a lot of fun. It was great to see Sunda again and just kind of sit and chat and share ideas. Um, and along with Bob's thing, um, I've also been doing Lego and my thing has been planning. Um, I'm trying to take existing sets and turn them into full modular buildings. And for that, I need different base plates and all that. So I'm slowly laying things out. So um, I love planning out stuff. So that's a lot of fun. So it's, it's been a hectic kind of fun, chaotic last two weeks and uh, got a lot of things done and got to watch a lot of really good shows. So um, I won't go in anymore. I'm going to just jump right over onto Phil. So, Phil? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So, um, as you said, Sunday was in town. Um, but backtrack into that. Um, I did the whole Thanksgiving thing with the fam, uh, which kind of killed all of my, um, which kind of killed all of my um, TV watching, uh, game playing, and all that stuff. So I'm like woefully behind. Like I haven't even touched uh, Hawkeye yet. Um, I'm behind on like I'm behind multiple episodes of Disco. I'll be doing catch up like for the next week or so. Um, to kind of get caught up. It's also a good reason for us to go on hiatus. Cause I can use some of that time now to watch some of the shows I've been behind on. Um, I did get to have lunch with uh, Craig, just Craig um, while I was uh, down in Connecticut. That was a lot of, uh, that was a lot of fun. It was really nice to kind of see him catch up again. Talked about cortex prime uh, while Cinda was here. We did a session zero for a one-on-one thirsty sword lesbian game uh, that we're going to use the, um, our long live the queen setting uh, that we came up with the um, boy, it's a complicated setting. Um, but basically the queen's musketeers in an age where time travelers, a time traveling corporation has come back to fleece uh, 17th century, um, the 17th century, so to speak. Um, it's a little more complicated than that, but um, we actually use that setting to make a um, thirsty sword lesbian setting out of it. And did like a session zero for a one-on-one. And so there's like a couple of rule tweaks, but um, those have actually been worked out by, I think the designer actually came up with a one-on-one version of the game. Um, so like in a, like another week or two, we'll actually get that game off the ground. Um, got a Christmas tree, did some decorating of the Christmas tree. That was fun. Um, I uh, still need to get more ornaments and stuff, but like I have a tree and it's lit. looks really nice. I can see it from, um, I can see it when I'm sitting at my um, uh, dinner table. It's in the living room. Um, it really kind of just made it very festive. Like I wasn't sure how I was going to um, handle my first Christmas in the apartment. Um, but um, now I have a Christmas tree. So now we're going to have a Christmas party. Um, I uh, texted you guys out the details, um, but we're going to do a um, random Lego swap. So Everybody's going to bring a Lego set that's $20 or less. We're going to put them under the tree. Everybody's going to pick one that's not theirs, open it up, and build them. And, you know, we'll eat food and stuff like that. I think it'll be a perfectly fine, lovely Christmas activity. Who doesn't like building a little Lego, as I say it to YouTube? Um, <laughs> but even I like, like, even I like putting together a small set. So just like a $20 set, something you can build and take home with you. Um, so I thought that would be fun. Um, and I did some more decorating around the house. I went thrifting this weekend. Um, and, um, I was at Savers and I found, unfortunately only two out of the three of them, but I found these large plaque, um, movie posters for empire and Jedi for when they were re-released in the nineties. Nice. I could not find the star Wars one, unfortunately, but I did pick the other two up for like seven bucks each. So um, I picked up those in a bunch of frames and uh, I put more stuff up in my place. So I have those um, two Star Wars posters now um, in the dining room above where I sit. Um, I hung up my Guns N' Roses live like a suicide album and a couple more Star Wars art pieces that I had like illustrations and stuff I had in the office. So uh, just like starting to like get this place decorated, like less bare walls and like more um, more stuff on them. And then I uh, just picked up more, I actually free, um, frames 
I found this um, Facebook group. I found this on, um, I found this out because of TikTok. And if you're listening, there's probably one group like this near you. There's, um, I think it's called Never Pay. I think that's the name of the group. Um, I'll check in a few seconds. But um, but what it is, um, it's a, um, what it is, it's a, it's a group on Facebook. And what you do is you find your, your, um, you find where you're located, right? So you like geographically, there's like one of these groups for different areas of the city. Cause the idea is that you, um, what you do is, oh, it's called buy nothing. I'm sorry, not never pay Buy nothing is the name of the group. And you find the group that, um, matches your neighborhood. And the idea is it is people who have stuff they want to give away or stuff they're looking for to see if their neighbors might have it, but you can't charge anything. So it's just like you want to get rid of something, you just put it on the group. And if somebody wants it, you just put it outside your door and somebody comes by and gets it kind of thing. So I like I joined it the other night and sure enough, this morning, somebody was getting rid of like a bunch of frames, including like two collage frames. And I was looking for collage frames for pictures of my kids. So I got like two collage frames plus three more frames uh, for nothing. Just contacted the person. was like, oh, I'm interested in them. She's like, I'll put them outside my door. I'm like, I'll be buying in like, you know, 20 minutes. Picked them up. So, I want to get rid of that might work that well. Definitely. Yeah, it's called buy nothing. Like if, you, if you're not looking to make any money on it, right? And you just want to get it out of your house. Mm-hmm. You can just join the buy nothing group. Um, it's local, right? So like the idea is that you are supposed to be like kind of helping your neighbors. So, mm-hmm. and you can only join one of these groups. Like, so you can't join like a bunch of these groups and cruise around getting free stuff. The idea is like yeah. you join the group for your neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm in the buy nothing West Amherst Tonawanda area. So anyway, there's it's a, on Facebook. a lot on, of people in your area. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's pretty interesting. The things that, um, it's pretty interesting. Some of the things that come up, I mean, like some of it, I'm like, no, not interested. And like, but again, like I just flipped through and I was like, Oh, I totally could use some more frames. So boom, free frames. Cool. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, that's, that's what, that's what I've been doing. Um, send was here. It was fantastic. Like great time. Um, had a lot of fun. Um, so, but like, I didn't really like, I don't know. haven't done much of anything else. Um, we did watch a bunch of um, uh, Cowboy Bebop because I was determined to get her caught up on Cowboy Bebop because so good. Um, but yeah, I you know that's what I'm going to be doing while we're on vacation is like I haven't played Minecraft. I haven't even turned on my um, PS4 in weeks. Um, I'm going to play some more video games. I want to uh, play some Minecraft with you guys. I want to um, catch up on TV shows, like all that stuff. So that's uh, that's that's my plan. That's all cool. I got. All right. Well, we should probably roll on into the Patreon shoutouts then. <clears throat> yeah. Phil, I got it. one for you. I saw it. All right. So thank you very much to Brandon Barnes, Brandon Michael Smith, Brantley Harris, Brian King, Brian Kurtz, Chris Steele, yeah. Cubano, Eileen Barnes, Eric Mengi, and Heptilemma. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. Yeah. Um, in a few weeks, 
If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. the Queen's time, come join us live on Twitch, where you can chat with other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional questions. Cannot make the live show. Check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as They're a Super Geek, Mastery Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Panas Talking Games, The Gnome Cast, Shanghu Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of The Amazing She's a Super Geek. You can and should also check out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and The Always Amazing Gaming and BS. Then leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly via the old-fashioned emails, mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Hit us up on the Twitters. The show, the network, is at misdirectedmark. He's Robert M. Everson. He's GM Gerrymander. I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do here and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Shangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Hustle, and Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, the pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Mark production. The media arm of Encore Design. Mic drop. Happy holidays. We'll see you in 2022. We out.